0: Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org Good morning, Christchurch London Central Service. How are you doing today? marvelous well we're going to do things a little bit differently today in that as well as continuing our sermon series on the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis looking at the subject of faith we're also going to use the passage as a springboard to look at the particular vision for the central service here at Christchurch what's the vision what's the plan and how are we going to get there before we get to that though I want to look at the question more broadly how do we all live with a sense of vision You see, it's quite one thing for me to set a vision for the service and everybody else to get behind it. It is quite another and way more powerful if we all live with a sense of vision. So how on earth do we do that? I'd like to start by reading our passage for today, which is Genesis chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, please do turn there. Uh, You should all have some uh, pens and paper as well. We aren't going to be using these till the very end of the talk. So just keep hold of them for the time being. No doodling in the meantime uh, let's start Genesis chapter 13 and we'll begin at verse 1. It says this. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, silver and gold. Verse 5. Now a Lot who was moving about with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land couldn't support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, north, south, east and west. All the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So if anyone could count the dust, your offspring could be counted. Go walk the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. So how on earth do we all live with a sense of vision? Let's just remind ourselves of the context of this story. Abraham is living in the land that God has promised to give him and through which one day the whole earth will be blessed. But there are a couple of problems. Firstly, the land can't support Abraham and Lot and all their stuff and all their families. Secondly, if you read chapter 12, you'll remember that the land of Canaan was in famine. Abram and Lot and their families had gone to Egypt to escape it. That hadn't worked out. They'd been kicked out of the country. So now they're back in Canaan that was in famine. So as Abram and Lot go to a high point and look over the land, and Abram very generously says, "Where do you want to go?" I wonder what they saw. I can't imagine it looked particularly appealing have been in famine after all. Certainly I think we can safely presume that's what Lot thought because he takes one look at the land and thinks you know what I'm actually going to go to the plains of the Jordan instead. Now here's why that is significant. number of commentators not all of them but the majority and I agree with them think that Lot is here turning his back on the promised land. A couple of things imply that. Firstly we are told Lot ends up heading east. Why is that important? Well, as I'm sure most of you are aware, when Adam and Eve disobey God in paradise and get kicked out of the Garden of Eden and lose perfect intimate relationship with God, we're told they end up walking east. It's where we get the phrase east of Eden from. Genesis 4, when Cain murders his brother Abel, we're told he walks out from the presence of the Lord and ends up living in the east. And amongst other things, the east became synonymous with walking away from God's best plans for our lives. Lot takes one look at the promised land and all that that entails, he thinks, you know what, I'll head east. Every Jewish reader would have spotted that. Secondly, I think the text says more explicitly where Abram and Lot are both living. Chapter 13, verse 12, Abram is living in the land of Canaan, Lot, not so much, not so much. You see, the first big comparison between Abraham and Lot is all about what they see. Lot looks at the land and sees it as it is. Abraham remembers the promises of God and sees it as it will be. The first step to living with a sense of vision is all about what you see. Lot sees the land as it is. Abraham remembers the promises of God and sees it as it will be. Can I just start this talk by asking you a question? When you look at this church, this service, your life and this city, what do you see? What do you see? Maybe an interesting comparison would be the U.S. purchase of Alaska way back in the 1800s. 1867, the U.S. Secretary of State is a guy by the name of William Seward. And he decided to purchase Alaska from the Russians for $7.2 million, a whole lot of money back then. The decision at the time was utterly ridiculed. The whole territory had the same latitude as Siberia. It was freezing cold, notoriously difficult to farm. In the US, it was described as Seward's Folly. The New York Tribune called it a sucked orange of a purchase. On the screen behind me are a couple of cartoons drawn at the time. In one, somebody is going up to a polar bear and saying, do you want to vote in the next election? It was seen as a ridiculous idea, a total waste of money. That was until many years later, when they started finding things like oil and gold and minerals under the surface of the land. And when the Cold War broke out, its geography offered a priceless strategic and military advantage. When everybody else back in 1867 was saying, what a waste of money, I wonder what William Seward saw. Turned out that William Seward was a seer. Abraham was too. And if we want to be men and women of faith and vision, we must be seers as well. And I find it interesting that as Abraham begins this journey of faith as a seer, God encourages him to keep living like that. As soon as he and Lot part, God comes to him again and says, Now look around. There's that word again. Look, north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. It's almost like there's this continual encouragement from God to see and see and imagine and dream some more. And the more that you see, I'm going to bless you. And at the very end of the chapter, we're told, Abraham goes and pitches his tents near the great trees of Mamre. The word Mamre literally means vision. Abraham decides to live in a permanent place of, wow, what could God do? When you look at your life and this church and this city, What do you see? I want to try and illustrate this in a slightly quirky way. If you are an introvert, you will not like this, and I apologise in advance, but sometimes we learn best when we embody what we're trying to take in. So I wonder if you'd all stand to your feet for a moment. And what I would like you to do is find someone who is sitting at least five rows from where you are right now that you do not know, Find out who they are, where they live in London, an interesting fact about them, and then do not return to your seat. Sit in a new part of the auditorium. So in two minutes, you should have a new friend and a new seat. Three, two, one, go. Okay. Sit down in your new seat with your new friend. (coughs) Wow! If if anyone went for a bathroom break five minutes ago, they will be totally thrown by what's just happened. And you guys really hate the front row, don't you? You just really hate it. Now, I did that illustration for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, I so often come to church on Sundays with what I might describe as a lot mentality. I sit in the same place. I talk to the same people. And everything that happens in church all revolves around little old me. In fact, Lot's whole decision-making mentality can be summed up by verse 11, where it says Lot chose for himself. It's all about Lot. Lot would be the kind of guy that comes to church on Sunday and thinks, how can worship connect with me? Will the sermon speak to me? What can Christchurch and the people in it do for me? It's all about him. Abraham is so different. The fact he starts this story by saying to Lot, you choose the lush territory, shows he's not really focused on himself and his own needs. He'd be the guy that would come to church on Sunday and would be like, even if the sermon is so bad that like not even Jesus wants to listen to it. We've all had talks like that. It's like, hey, it's not about me receiving. Look at the potential in this room. Do you see the potential? People I could get to know, people who could become my friend. Maybe there's someone here I could marry one day. Wow. <laughs> Everyone who's single is like, don't look at anyone else about from Andy right now. Just look front and central. Eyes are not on selfies. Like, look at the potential. That's part of how we see vision. In fact, just as an aside, do you see the potential in this room right now? I think one of maybe the biggest weaknesses of our culture is we just don't realize the potential that we have. You guys are extraordinary. Do you see it? Part of living with vision is seeing. But there is a second part to living with vision. Second reason I got you doing that little experiment is I wonder if anyone found it a little uncomfortable. A little awkward, leaving behind the seat where you normally sit, the people you normally sit with, chatting to somebody new. If you felt a little awkward and uncomfortable, that was part of the point. Leaving behind your possessions. Is anyone here thinking, oh no, I've left my bag, my wallet's in my bag, who's sitting there now? Is anyone thinking, I hadn't thought of that, someone's wallet might be here, cash back. No, this is church, Jesus is watching, okay, don't do that. But actually there is a second part to living with vision. God doesn't simply ask Abraham to see, he also tells him to walk. Go walk the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Reminds me of a very similar instruction God gives to the Israelites, After wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, before they re-enter this land, every place you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you. It's not just the more you see you're going to get blessed, the more that you walk you're going to get blessed. Now just think of the implications of that for Abraham for a moment. He has to walk through a land that was in famine. What was that like? He has to walk through a land with a whole load of peoples that are different from himself. Verse 7 tells us the Canaanites and the Perizzites are now in the land. That's new information. He has to walk through a land knowing there is a better life, a lusher and more fertile territory elsewhere. What on earth was going on inside? You see, there are two parts to living with vision. There's the seeing, that's the dreaming, the imagining, the possibilities, the easy, the exciting part. But then we have to walk. We have to leave behind the seat where we are comfortable and walk into the unknown. That is an altogether different proposition. It is one thing to dream, so to speak, of the house that we want to build. It is an altogether different proposition to fork out the time, the energy and the money to actually go and build it. It's seeing, that's easy, but it's also walking, that's tough. And I think the Bible picks up on this emotion that we all go through. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 9 says this, By faith he, that is Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He's home, but he's a stranger. You ever been a stranger? In many ways, you were kind of a stranger a few moments ago. If you're new to church over the last few weeks, you know what it feels like to walk into a building where it seems like everyone knows each other and no one knows you. What's it like being a stranger? bit awkward, bit uncomfortable. And Abraham isn't the only one in the Bible that feels this way. He's one of a long list. Psalm 39 tells us of King David, king over Israel in this very land, the nation now established. He prays, now I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger as all my ancestors were, home but a stranger. Hebrews 11 lists a long line of people from Abraham through to the prophets who what? Admitted they were foreigners and strangers on earth. 1 Peter 2 describes followers of Jesus as foreigners and exiles. We are home but we are a stranger. What on earth is going on? How do you reconcile the two? Well, some of you have heard some of this stuff from the stage before, but I think it's worth repeating. You see, the Christianity I grew up with never described this world as home. Heaven was seen as home. And I had to hang on in there in this bad, bad world until one day I could escape and be in heaven with Jesus. That is not how writers of the Bible saw it. Perhaps I can explain it this way. If I get a volunteer, Ross Bolt, you'll do to the stage, please, thank you very much. You see, the Bible describes the world as being under a value system. It's represented by this frozen umbrella. This represents, oh, this is a wonderful picture moment right here. (laughs) This represents Lot's value system, choosing for myself. It's all about me, selfishness, injustice, pride, greed. Sometimes in the Bible, this value system is referred to as the kingdom of Babylon, Lot's value system. And rather than trying to escape it, instead, we need to live with a different kind of value system. That is represented by this Thomas the Tank Engine umbrella. So you hold that under the frozen umbrella. Community, justice, compassion, forgiveness, love. We are home, doing a great job there, Ross, but we are also a stranger. In the hope that one day the king of this kingdom will come back and do away with this earthly choosing-for-yourself kingdom, and his kingdom will be established all over the earth. And if you read the end of the story, that is exactly what happens. End of the book of Revelation, there's this great cry, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Ross, that frozen umbrella, let it go. Thank you very much, I made that up myself. (laughs) Uh, no, just drop, drop the umbrella on the floor, thank you very much. You still use that one. And this value system that we're trying to live out now is now established all over the earth. It's depicted like a new city of Jerusalem coming from heaven to earth. God's kingdom really is established on earth as it is in heaven. And the earth is full of the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You can twirl the umbrella. You can do a little dance. You can look happy and rejoicing. That's what's coming one day. Round of applause for Ross Ball, please. Thank you very much. That's our great hope. But until then, until that point, we are home. We're trying to live out a different kind of kingdom, but we are also a stranger. I want to try and illustrate this in a different way by showing you a short clip from a movie called Saving Mr Banks. If you've seen this film, it's the story of Walt Disney and his team's attempts to persuade Pamela Travers, the author of Mary Poppins, to turn the book into a film. And if you've seen it, you'll know that she's reluctant throughout the whole creative process because the characters aren't just fiction to her, they are family. In particular, Mr. Banks is based on her very flawed father, who's just like Lot. He just works at the bank to earn more money for himself to the detriment of his family. And this is the moment in the movie where Walt Disney comes to London to persuade Pamela Travers to turn the book into a film, and this is what he says. Let's play the clip now. I love the language in that clip. Walt Disney basically comes to Pamela Travers and he says, basically, give me the story of your life. And I love the phrase, I will restore order with imagination. Give Mr Banks to me, this guy who's all too focused on money and possessions and personal glory. Give him to me, and every time people walk into a movie theatre, they will see George Banks being saved. He'll get caught up in a better kind of story, a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious kind of story. Give him to me, and all oh, people will end up weeping for his cares, and oh, when he flies his kite, they will rejoice. Give him to me. There's a better kind of story happening. I give you my word. Well, I have good news for us, Christchurch London Central Service. Because one greater than Mary Poppins has come. This is a great illustration. (laughs) One greater than Walt Disney has come. And in many ways, you and I are like Pamela Travers. We're like Mr Banks. We cling to our own little stories. And God comes to us and he says, I want to tell you of a better kind of story of the whole earth being blessed. And you can be a part of it. You can get caught up in a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious kind of story, see it, glimpse it, I've given you my word, read about it, study it, meditate upon it. But if you want to be part of that story, you've got to lay down the script to your own life. We have to give the script of our lives to him. The seeing, oh, that's the easy bit, that's the exciting bit. Leaving behind our own story, leaving behind the lush pasture, walking into the unknown That's the tough bit, but you don't get one without the other. If you want to live with vision, oh, we need to be seers? Do you see the potential in this city? But we also need to be walkers. Are you up for being a walker too? Seeing and walking, walking and seeing, that is how we live with vision. So with all that said, what is the vision for the central service here at Christchurch and how do we walk towards it? Well firstly the vision for the central service is very similar to the vision for the whole church. That's right and good, that's kind of just the way it should be and it's deliberately very broad but it's fourfold. And the first part of the vision for the central service is this, we want to have the widest front door possible. You know the first thing I see when I look at this city is just loads of people, 8.6 million, that's up from 7 million 10, 12 years ago, it's growing all the time. 270 nationalities, 300 languages, 400,000 students. I just see loads of people. You know, sometimes I hear people say, oh, London's so busy, London's so crowded, London's so noisy and full. I think that's what Lot would have said. If the primary mission of the church is to love, serve and bless people, I can't think of a better place on earth to do it than here. That's why we do things like Alpha and the STEPS course. It's why we prize things like marriage and families ministry, men's recovery groups, grief share. It's why we think the welcome team is so important. It's why connect groups are the lifeblood of the church because we just love people. I was chatting to somebody recently uh, over the summer who's not a person of faith and going through a really difficult time right now. And I said, hey, there's this thing called Alpha starting in the autumn, explores the person of Jesus he's changed my life, maybe you'd like to look into it. And they were like, no, no, thank you for the offer, but no, 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 just like my dating days all over again. But anyway, and I said to them in a really offhand way, I said, look, hey, wherever you get to on the whole faith thing, whether you ever make a commitment or not, you need to know that we are here for you, that we love you, and you are welcome here. They just burst into tears. They said, their words, not mine, I have never known community like this. They are tasting some of the presence and the power of the kingdom of Jesus that God has called us to build in this city. This is why we do this, because we just love people and we want to welcome as many as possible in this service. That's why we're here. Just want the widest front door possible. Second part of the vision for this service is we want to start birthing new services right the way across this city. Next thing I see when I look at this city is a, an area of extraordinary geographical, social and ethnic diversity. There's a map coming up on the screen of London. The area within the M25 is 2,599 square miles. That is extraordinary. Crazy thing about this service is you could be sitting next to somebody right now who's part of the same church but lives over two hours from where you live. Just crazy. And so as well as gathering from right the way across the city, we want to start services right the way across the city of all sorts of shapes and sizes. Starting getting requests, can we translate the service into Spanish on a Sunday? I would love to do that. Such an opportunity. Right now we have four services in four locations. By 2020 we want eight services in at least six locations. But then we want to plant many, many more in the decade after that and the decade after that. And so we want to call pioneers who are up for going to different parts of London and saying, I want to start a service here. But of course that means a particular challenge for the central service here as well. Because it means as we welcome in loads of people, that's exciting, there's also going to be pain as we send them off to start new services. I have felt the pain of what we did earlier this year. When we started different services, some of my closest friends, I don't see as often as I once did, because we've got to start more services. And so perhaps more than any other service, I'm calling men and women to live with the call of Abraham in this service, home but a stranger. I'm saying goodbye to one community to get to know a new one because there's always more people we can befriend. There's always more community to get to know. But that's going to be tough. You up for being home but a stranger? And orienting your life to this, always more new people. Yes, we want pioneers to start new services, but we want people to own this service too. We want to call people to both. Next thing I see when I look at this city, third part of the vision for this service, is extraordinary opportunity for social and cultural renewal. This really is like you can change the world from London. You know, this is an area that the church has often got very, very right and very, very wrong through history. One silly example, the very same church that commissioned Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel, one of the most beautiful and iconic pieces of art in the history of the world. That's the church getting it very, very right. The very same church paid a guy full-time, and his full-time job was to create clothes to cover up statues that he deemed inappropriate for public viewing. The full-time profession of this guy was called the trouserer, which is like the worst superhero name ever. I am the trouserer. But so often the church has got a reputation for that, for covering up, for criticising, for pulling down, rather than creating something better i think it's time for churches to do just that i find the example of rembrandt way more inspiring he is credited with changing the history of art before him all depictions of god and jesus were very unrealistic blonde hair blue eyes fair complexion he changed all of that painted christ in a more human way looked just like us one of his paintings is coming up on the screen behind me rather than just going along with the way it's always been done let's create something better and of course we don't just need artists at rembrandt's level I was utterly inspired by Hannah Joy, who stood on this stage a few months ago as a student. And because of your generous giving to the work of the church, she started up an art therapy class for refugees in this city. Some of their work is coming up on the screen. I think it's equally inspiring. I think it's equally beautiful. Your generosity helped make that happen. And of course, we wanna call people to make a difference in every industry, to create something better. Finance, education, medicine, business, healthcare, Advertising, TV, radio, media, the arts, police force, fire service, healthcare. We want people to address homelessness, debt, addictions, loneliness, family and educational breakdown. There is so much opportunity and so much need in this city. Do you see the potential we have? I love the visions of the International Justice Connect Group, the Social Justice Connect Group, the Good Ideas Connect Group. I want to see their projects and more connect groups like like them thrive. So that Sundays is just the start of how we can make a difference in our week. Monday through Sunday, in whatever we are putting our hand to, we're making a difference for the good of this city and its citizens. What an opportunity. And the fourth part of the vision for this service is we want to be a resource base. We're going to need to train a whole load of people to make all of this happen, pastorally, theologically, help people work out their calling. But one of the things that we are particularly working on right now is we want to train a whole load of leaders that represent the diversity that's in this room right now. So that one of our hallmarks is we just raise leaders up all across the board to make all of this happen. You know, sometimes in the New Testament, some churches focus particularly on their locality. Others, like the church in Antioch, help resource an entire region I feel for this service, we want to be like that. When you look at this service, when you look at this city and this church and your life, what do you see? What do you see? Now, I love the story of the opening of Disney World, 1st of October, 1971. The great Walt Disney had passed away five years earlier. And the story goes that on the day of its opening, somebody turned to Mrs. Lillian Disney and said, what an amazing day, what a shame that Walt didn't live to see this. And she shot back, oh, but he did see it if he'd never seen it, this day would never have come. Walt Disney was a seer, but then he was also a walker. He could have lived very happily off the profits from his movies, but he was happy to fork out the time, energy and money to make it happen. And he never saw it in all its fullness, but now millions of people have enjoyed the fun and the life of Disneyland because one man was a seer and a walker. So if that is the vision for this service, if that's kind of where we're headed, not just 2020 but beyond then, how do we walk towards it? What are the next steps? I want to suggest three very simple things. Firstly, this, would you serve? Would you serve? You know, for Abraham to live with vision and walk into the promised land, it would have looked very ordinary. Vision often looks really ordinary. He had to care for his flocks, shovel manure, put up tents, bang in more tent pegs. Vision often looks just like that. Right now, right now, I have a vision for my children's future. I dream big for them. Right now, that vision involves stepping on Lego, washing countless clothes, and changing dirty nappies. It is hard to have vision for their future when your hands are in poo, but you can't have one without the other. I can't say to my kids, I dream for your future. You can just sit in that nappy. It's fine. It's just, it doesn't work that way. Now when Mia was born, it's really hard to have vision when you're just tired all the time. When Mia was born, she didn't sleep through the night for two years, two years of broken sleep. Do you have any idea how difficult it was every every single night having to wake up Joy to tell her to go and sort it out? It was so hard! (laughs) But you can't have one without the other. Guys, right now we're kind of in the nappy-changing phase of church. If you're not serving, would you serve? Would you be up for going without a bit of sleep to get up early on a Sunday to help some of the teams that pull off Sundays every week? I am praying that we can start four new connect groups in the next 12 months that are particularly affiliated to this service, two of which at least I'm praying will be in zone one. So I'm going to need men and women who are up for I'm going to leave behind my community. I'm going to be a stranger again and get to know a new community to help them find friends and catch them up on mission. Some of you up for that? We want to raise up leaders who will take on Alpha. Right now I'm running it. It's great. It's brilliantly exciting. We've got lows to get to. And it's not for me to do all the work. We want to raise up leaders here. Someone up for owning that. Some people up for owning that. You know, one little way you could live with a kind of servant heart. Would you mind getting here earlier on Sundays? In danger of being a little patronising with this illustration, forgive me, but I think you'll get what I'm trying to say. You know, one of the things I've discovered when I'm having guests round for dinner is it really helps if I'm in when they arrive. It's just kind of the way it works. Well, we want to welcome and love so many people. We don't want church to be 11 till 12.30. We want to build a family here. Could the family be here when people arrive? You may not get to chat to people every single week but get to know old friends, deepen relationships with them. It's just a way that we can build a sense of community in this loneliest of cities. If you're not serving, would you serve? Support your connect group leaders, get involved. This stuff matters. It might feel really ordinary. It might be the nappy, changing side of church life. I want to call you to that. Maybe that's the next step. Would you serve? Second step towards what God's got for us, would you give? This whole journey of faith for Abraham, it starts with him saying to Lot, hey, you have the lush, fertile territory. I'm not worried about that. Starts with a very generous act. Would you pray about what you might give? You've heard about the What's Next campaign. We're praying for a monthly increase of £250,000 over the course of the next year. Some of you have heard me share uh, this recently. One of uh, our last giving stories was in uh, June, July this year. We got an unexpected gift of about £200. And I knew exactly what I wanted to spend it on. We had some building work go uh, over, budget on our house. And we have a window right above our bed and we need a specially fitted blind for it and we couldn't afford it. So we gaffer tape some tin foil to go over this window. And this money arrives. I'm like, yes, we can finally buy a new blind for the window. Brilliant. As I said the words out loud in the privacy of my bedroom, I heard this voice in my ear, or oh, you could give the money to the upcoming What's Next campaign. I was like, there's no way that's God. That's like... Dave Stroud has planted a bug or something. That's definitely (laughs) definitely not God. But I thought I'd better go and chat to Joy just to check because this nagging thought wouldn't go away. So I went downstairs and I said to Joy, I said, hey, we've had this unexpected sum of money. We could buy a new blind for the window or we could give the money to church. What do you think we should do? She shot back straight away. We have to increase our giving to church. I was like, why do I bother talking to you? So with Joy in my heart, (laughs) I went to our online giving and I increased it for a little more than the gift. The very next day we got an unexpected sum for ten times the amount. I'm running out of time to tell you all the stories like that that have happened to me over the last 20 years of my life. happens to Abraham here. He leaves behind the lush, fertile territory. God says, more blessing is coming your way. And so we decided on the back of that gift to increase our giving again and again and actually again. But we had some money left over and we bought a new blind And it's not the greatest story because I put it up incorrectly and there's still light coming through, but that's still kind of, (laughs) I have to pay someone to come and fix it now, but that kind of ruins the point. (laughs) But as I was screwing in this blind incorrectly, I thought of many of you. You know, you may not have been directly involved, but as you look over the last 12 years of this church, people coming to faith, services starting, new connect groups, projects, initiatives, I hope you are able to step back from the canvas and say, I helped make that happen because you really did guys, let's go again. Would you pray about what you might give? If you're not giving regularly, maybe that's the next step. If you are, let's stretch again. It's so worth it. Laying behind and down our own stories and getting caught up in his. It's even better than Disney's. Would you serve? Would you give? And then thirdly and finally, don't stop living with vision. There's one final, I think, tragic comparison between Abraham and Lot. Abraham goes up to the great trees of Mamre. Wow, what could God do? Lot goes down into the valley. Oh, yes, he gets rich, but he misses the view. I've met so many people like that, that they once had great promises and great dreams and they saw the future with such optimism and then somehow over time just lost it. They got robbed. They missed the view. I want to ask you, would you dream again? Do you see the potential in this city? Look at what God could do through us. It's the most amazing story. You can be part of it. Would you see? Would you dream again? You know, I wanted to finish this talk with an inspiring story about the power of living with vision. There are enough out there. And I, really, as I was praying for you, I really felt I, I shouldn't do that. I felt this kind of nudge that I think might have been from God saying, why don't you not talk and let me talk? I was like, that sounds like God to me. And so in a moment, I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer. Come Holy Spirit. And I wonder if you'd all take your pens and paper that you got at the start of this talk. And I'm going to play a classical version of a a very old and beautiful hymn called Be Thou My Vision. And as this song plays, I wonder, would you see again? Would you dream again? Would you listen to the whispers and nudges and promptings of the Holy Spirit? Maybe some of you will be reminded of old dreams and old promises that you once carried. And maybe you want to write some of it down. Maybe you want to wait and do this later when you get home. Make this a regular discipline over the course of this week. But maybe as well as writing down what you see, maybe you want to write down as well what the next step is for you. What for you is leaving behind what is comfortable and walking towards what God has for us. Maybe actually it's filling in the what's next form. You could write on that too. Maybe that's the next step. You know what? This has to start with my finances. You could use the next four minutes to write on that form too and fill it in. Don't wait for Love London Sunday. You can do it today. But here's just a little bit of time in your week to listen, to see again, to dream again. Let me just pray for us. Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come right now. We are listening. We are listening. And I want to invite you, as I now go quiet, for you to speak and whisper. I want to pray that you would fill us with faith and vision, that you would make us a community of seers. Help us to look to the future through your eyes. Guide us as to what the next step for us might be. Fill us with faith and confidence. Give us courage where it is uncomfortable, leaving behind what is comfortable. Holy Spirit, come right now. We are listening. We are listening we invite you to speak. Now as the song plays, just listen. Write, reflect. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit Christchurchlondon.org.